finally have my happy family. And unfortunately, it just turned, did not turn out that way. And their marriage was very volatile. My stepdad turned out to be very abusive. And, you know, even amidst all that tension at home and all that turmoil, you know, I still think at the time I would have taken that family unit because I wanted a dad so bad. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth and this is The Restory Show. And today I'm really excited to welcome Elizabeth Oates to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege. And so I know that you probably have like 10,000 stories to share, but um, what story is on your heart today to share with The Restory listeners? Well, I thought we would just talk about kind of my upbringing and how I came to know the Lord through that journey. Perfect. Yeah, so I grew up kind of like probably many of your listeners, and I think like many people in my generation, I come from Generation X. I grew up in a divorced family. Uh, My parents divorced when I was about two years old, and uh, my dad was not a huge part of my life. Um, You know, I I was supposed to see him, you know, the typical every other weekend kind of visitation, but I really did not uh, like going to see him. I had a lot of nightmares when I was supposed to go see him, a lot of stomach issues. And I think that's really important for parents to kind of pay attention to. I think you would agree with that. Yes. uh, Yeah, I know a lot of your story. So I think when, um, you know, our bodies are are telling us things that maybe our kids can't verbalize, uh, you know, to kind of pay attention to that. And so um, fortunately, my mom did pay attention to that. And she didn't force me to go. And I think my dad... uh, he did not really want to, um, let's say put up with my antics and that was not really worth it to him to kind of force a two, three, four year old. So, uh, he didn't really put up the fight and, uh, yeah, so I didn't really spend a lot of time with him and the times that I did go, I just remember there being a lot of neglect and not a lot of parental supervision. And there was just always a lot of chaos and, um, not a lot of oversight there. And so, yeah, just didn't have a real relationship with him. And, um, I, when I was in, I think second grade, we moved from Ohio to Texas and it was always just my mom and my older brother and I, and, you know, my mom was a single mom, which, you know, that's a really difficult, uh, situation. I have a real heart for single moms. I just, I'm not a single mom. Um, so I'm fortunate in that area, but just watching her do that, you know, that's a very difficult, I think, situation. And so, uh, just watching her, you know, work hard. And, you know, I think I always say if I could describe my childhood, I would say it was sort of lonely. You know, she had a, she worked a lot, but she also had a pretty active social life. And so I was home a lot by myself and, you know, just kind of f- learned to fend for myself and grew up, I think, pretty fast as far as um, just kind of being on my own and learning to be independent and, you know, I think I always thought growing up that life would begin when she remarried. Um, I watched her date a lot. And I always thought that was the end goal. You know, when mom gets remarried, then we'll have a real family. And that's when life will really begin. Uh, and, and I think in some ways that might have been her mindset too. Uh, and so she eventually did remarry when I was in middle school. And this whole time, you know, we weren't really uh, going to church. I think we would pop in and out. We were sort of your Easter and Christmas Christians. And that was sort of tricky. You know, I remember um, not really, not really uh, not wanting to go. I wasn't super resistant like my brother was, but I always felt very out of place when we went. 
And just because I was a very straight A student in school and um, much, very much a rule follower. And so then I would go to church and I wouldn't know anything they talked about and I wouldn't know the stories. And so I didn't like that feeling of, you know, not having the answers like I always did in school. And so it's not that I disliked church, but I felt very out of place. Um, so I never asked to go. I never expressed interest in going to VBS or any of those things. And, um, so when my mom remarried in middle school, I thought this is it, you know, life can finally begin. I finally have my happy family. And unfortunately it just turned, did not turn out that way. Um, their marriage was very volatile. Um, my stepdad turned out to be very abusive and, uh, you know, even amidst all that, tension at home and all that turmoil, you know, I still think at the time I I would have taken it because, um, you know, I would have taken that family unit because I wanted a dad so bad and I wanted, you know, kind of that white picket fence kind of life at all costs. And I think it just shows, you know, how much kids want a nuclear family and they, you know, they want that mom and that dad and, and they want that stability. And even though my home was very unstable, uh, I just had in my mind, if I had a mom and a dad, it didn't matter how uh, difficult it was at home, that uh, I could kind of smooth things over and I could make it look neat and tidy on the outside. And that's kind of what I did. You know, I would go to school every day and I would pretend that things were fine. And, you know, the police were called out to our house several times and I would just go to school anyway. And I would pretend that everything was fine and put on a happy face and make my straight A's. And, um, I just really tried to hold it all together. And, you know, even one time we, my mom and I ended up staying at a women and children's shelter. And I remember just getting up the next day and going to school and, you know, not telling a single person because heaven forbid, someone would think that we didn't live this perfect life and that they would think that something was going on in our home that was less than perfect. Which actually it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were very far from perfect. Um, but on the outside, we looked like we had it all together. You know, my mom and stepdad drove BMWs and we had a lake house and uh, he flew a plane and we lived in a large home. And, you know, we looked like this quintessential blended family trying to make it work. And on the inside, we were just a mess. And, um, you know, I think my dreams of, you know, like I said, of life finally beginning, my dreams were just crumbling. And I was, and I remember thinking, I thought life was so lonely when it was just me, mom and my brother, and life is so much lonelier now. And, you know, my mom eventually, um, I think it was my freshman year in high school, she divorced him. And, um, that's when fortunately, uh, she took me to the church, the local Baptist church in town. You know, we were in a small town at that time. And, um, so I think there was like one main Baptist church and it was right down the street and we started going. And that's when I really did kind of resist going to church because I hear I am a little bit older now, a little more stubborn, a little more strong willed. And I just, again, I was used to making those good grades and having all the answers in school. And now I'm really far behind because now kids are, you know, 15, 16 years old and they really know what they're talking about when it comes to the Bible. And I know nothing. And I remember sitting in Sunday school that first day and they're talking about um, Jacob and Esau. And I remember that's the first story that I learned and I'm sitting there thinking, now, why is this guy so hairy? Like, this makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> it just, 
seemed so bizarre. I was like, all these stories are so bizarre. I don't understand this at all. I didn't know where any of the books of the Bible were. And I just felt so far behind. And um, again, it's just so lonely, even sitting in that classroom. I felt like the spotlight was on me because everybody could tell that I didn't know what was going on. But fortunately, my mom, she made me go week after week after week, even though I gave her so much trouble. It's probably the first time I gave her so much trouble. Um, But she kept making me go. And eventually, the Lord just would not let me go. And I realized I am not going to get through this time without him. And, um, you know, he just melted away sort of that hard core that I had kind of created in my heart. And I realized, you know, all that loneliness, that he could cure that loneliness for me. And that if I had him in my life, I would never be lonely again. And so I became a believer. And the rest of my high school years, you know, we kind of moved around. I ended up going to three different high schools. And I will say throughout that time, I was never lonely again. He was so good to me, so sweet, um, brought me some great friends, um, some sweet families who poured into me. Um, and that was a huge growing time in my life, just spiritually and, you know, obviously matured a lot, um, as I hope high schoolers do. <laughs> um, not everyone does, but I hope they do. Um, you know, but I did continue to sort of create this sort of perfect world for myself in high school. You know, my stepdad that my mom had divorced, you know, I'd said that I wanted this, this perfect family and I so much wanted him to love me. And I remember when they divorced, he had said, you know, I love, I love her referring to my mom. I love her because she's my wife and I love him referring to my brother. I love him as if he were my son, but I have no use for Elizabeth. Wow. Yeah. That really cut me to my core. And especially now, you know, with all this Enneagram stuff that's come out, um, I've done a lot of work with that, um, on myself and knowing, you know, I'm an Enneagram three and, and we really have a high need for, um, affirmation. We have a high need for praise. We have a high need to be useful, to be well-liked. Um, and so knowing that I'm wired like that now, it makes so much sense why back then it hurt me so deeply because I just, I wanted to be loved number one by a dad. And that was a huge need having, you know, not had a relationship with my biological dad. And I just had a need for him also to love me and to like me and to get approval from him. And I never had that. And I think that's why then in high school, I tried to create, you know, just this perfect world where I was involved in every activity and I was a cheerleader and I was on tennis team and I was making these straight A's um, to show everyone, okay, well, if I'm no use to my stepdad, then I'm going to be useful to everyone else. Now, the downside is then entering my 20s, it continues this very unhealthy pattern. Of, <laughs> yes. I'm going to say yes to everyone and everything and be on every committee and serve in every capacity at church and at work. And, you know, so the Lord definitely had to work on me in that area um, and kind of root out a lot of unhealthiness of, you know, being that yes person um, and really showing me you don't have to be a martyr. You don't have to say yes to everything. Um, and that took a lot of years uh, of him, like I said, rooting out, you know, this desire to to prove to everyone that I could be everything and, and really knocking all that down and showing me you can't do everything. You can't be all things to all people. But I think that's where it all started. 
I think um, it's weird that every time you say something, I, th- I think, wow, she's me. Weird. Okay. <laughs> she's saying all my things. Thanks for sharing all my secrets and all my insecurities. It's so great. <laughs> I, I have read your stuff and I identify a lot with what you have, what you've gone through. I mean, we have different, different stories, but a lot of overlapping, a lot of similarities. Um, yeah. So mom, when I was in college, she actually married a third time and I have a half sister from that marriage. So I have a sister who's 20 years younger. And so that's been interesting. And then my mom divorced, um, I guess when I was in my twenties. So I've lived through the divorce at three different ages and stages. And I always like to tell people, you know, I speak a lot to parents who are divorced and I always like to tell them, you know, never discount your child's pain, no matter what age they are, because divorce, it's difficult at any age. You know, it was difficult when I was you know, a toddler or, you know, three, four, five. And it was difficult when I was 25, you know, it's, and everything in between, it's, it's always painful and difficult. And that doesn't mean that, you know, your child won't, um, you know, won't grow into a healthy person. You know, we can certainly grow from it and God can definitely, um, use it in our life for good. But, um, you know, I try to encourage parents, let them sit in their pain, let them process it at their own rate. Um, you know, don't, I think some parents like to say, well, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. Um, you know, and yes, we are resilient. We are, you know, with the Lord's strength, we can work through these difficulties, but, you know, also give them that grace and that space to kind of work through their, their pain and their grief. It's important. And you're right. I mean, I think a lot of us have that, those reactions to trauma or whatever, and it's fight or flight, but we also forget about freeze. And so many times kids can't, they can't react in the moment, they freeze, and then they have to deal with the grief later. And it just takes time and it comes out in weird places. One of the things I wanted to camp on a little bit is something you talked about how you were in high school. And if someone were looking at you from the outside, they would think, and maybe even in your your 20s, this girl has it all together. Like she's got the everything. And we hear so much about you know, kids who are lost or kids who are, you know, on drugs or, you know, bulimic or, or whatever, suicidal, all very important things to pay attention to. But I think what you're saying is there can be kids that seem to have it all together who are dying on the inside. We need to be as parents and as educators and um, people in kids' lives, we need to be asking good questions. So would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, there are many, many times I have been exactly what you said, dying on the inside. And I, I will say I have always looked like I've had it all together. And, you know, people have been like, you are just superwoman. You are super mom. You are, you know, um, and I think that's because I have always had to just wake up every day and just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. I think part of it is the way God's wired me. I think part of it's, you know, my mom is a fighter and a survivor. And so we never had the chance to just sit and wallow or, you know, I mean, you don't have a choice. You just get up and you just keep going. That's what you do. Um, But like you said, yeah, I've had a lot of times in my life where I was crumbling on the inside and, um, you know, high school is one. Um, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned bulimia. I did struggle with that in high school and no one knew, um, in, in college I struggled with, um, more the anorexia over exercising. Um, and fortunately I had some awesome roommates who could tell something was wrong 
And one of my very dear friends, her mom actually drove, I think, almost four hours and one night just showed up on my doorstep. And I was, I just kind of looked stunned. I was like, what are you doing here? And she said, Elizabeth, I just asked myself, if this were Sarah, what would I do? And I said, I would show up. And that was a powerful moment for me. I mean, I just burst into tears because I thought, you know, I, I don't know if anybody had just shown up for me like that in my life. And um, she just showed up just, and she asked nothing of me. And she just, she ended up spending the night and she was, you know, there for me the next day. And we just spent some time together and she asked nothing of me. She was just there for me, just her presence. And, you know, sometimes I think we talk about that. Like you don't have to do anything for someone. It's just your presence. And I think in that moment, it was what she did for me was let me know that there actually was someone there for me, almost like a safety net. Cause I think a lot of that in high school and college, I felt like I had no safety net. Um, but I think she was letting me know you actually do have a safety net. You actually do have someone here for you. I love that. And I think it's such a good example for all of us today to listen to your story and to, you know, just pay attention to the people in our lives. And uh, was just talking to my husband today about trying to, you know, just intervene in someone's life. And the only thing I could come up with was I'm going to make some cookies, you know, but sometimes it's just <laughs> something like that, that uh, helps us so much. And I'd, just to take a quick break and to say that if you love these kinds of stories that Elizabeth's sharing today, just consider being a Patreon sponsor. You can get new um, exclusive benefits for the patrons included, including a secret podcast just for you every month. And you'll find the Patreon button in the show notes. And so if you like this kind of story, which I totally do and I'm really getting a lot out of it, consider doing that and becoming a patron, a patron of the arts, so to speak. <laughs> so Elizabeth, you, um, you met Jesus, you went through high school, you went through college, your mom divorced a few more times, and uh, then your life was perfect. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, how I wish. I wish. I wish it were that simple. No. So I married my college sweetheart, and he is definitely the yin to my yang. He is just consistent and patient and kind. And, you know, I'm obviously a little bit all over the place. Um, but we balance each other out very well. And, uh, we, you know, I think I mentioned we lived in Dallas for a few years. I went to seminary there and then we ended up moving to a smaller town. He had some family there and we just thought it'd be a great place to raise a family. And then we kind of get on this, you know, kind of like a lot of young couples do. We start having our kids and, um, you know, I kind of start doing some freelance writing from home and, um, blogging and I, we ended up having three kids really quickly and we'd always talked about um, adoption, but once we started birthing our own children, that kind of seemed like, whoa, I think we need to kind of table that talk for a while. Uh, but when our children were about four, six, and eight, we kind of revisited that topic. And we actually decided to pursue foster care, which had never been in our, um, in our discussions before, but uh, we talked to a lot of different people, and that seemed like a good fit for us. That's like a super easy process, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, I think um, God blessed us with some naivete. <laughs> that seemed to be what we needed. We needed to be a little bit ignorant. And so we went into foster care, and we welcomed a little nine-week-old baby girl in 2016, or no, 2014. 
yeah, 2014. It's all the year, the past few years. Are big. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. And she came to us in 2014. And then, you know, over the next probably six months, and um, like you mentioned, I look like I have it all together. And I'm, I really am very, I've mastered the art of looking like I have it all together. And I remember, um, I remember seeing, you know, one of those memes that people put on Pinterest and things like that. And it was a girl, it was a picture of a girl lying in the middle of the road, face down, and the meme said, I'm fine. And I remember thinking, that it, that's me. That is me. I was so lonely. I felt so isolated because here my kids were in elementary school, my older three, and then I had a newborn again. All of my friends had moved on from the newborn stage. And so um, I was now stuck at home again, feeling very isolated. Um, and then you throw in the whole mix of foster care and what that entails and just the roller coaster of emotions and responsibilities. And, um, you know, and we're here now attached to this newborn who might not stay with us. And and so some depression set in there and it was a, such a difficult time. We had some financial issues and all of a sudden my husband and I find ourselves on the couch sitting in the counselor's office. And we had done so much young married ministry over the years and engaged couples ministry over the years. And so, you know, we had sent many couples to counseling. We had mentored many couples and we had always said, there's no shame in counseling. If you need it, you get it, you know. And we were big proponents of counseling. And yet we sat there looking at each other. And I said, we are not the couple who ends up in counseling. Like, how did we get here? And um, it was very humbling. It was, I was very ashamed that I was sitting there dealing with depression and in counseling. And, you know, my husband was, he's not as prideful as I am. (laughs) He is much more humble and tenderhearted. And so for him, he was just like, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to get back on track. For me, I was devastated that we had, one, let ourselves get this far. And two, just I think the depression was very um, shameful for me. Even though in my head, I knew tons of women struggle with this, millions. And I had, I had dealt with it before, after the birth of you know my children. Um, I had talked to so many women and told them there's nothing shameful about it, blah, blah, blah. You know, all those right answers. And yet here I was dealing with it again. You know, it was such a dark, dark time. Um, But I just remember that one, that meme of that woman laying on the ground and saying, I'm fine. And that was my, that was my go-to answer. If someone asked, how are y'all doing? We're fine. We're good. Because that is what I feel like I was always trained to do. You put on your happy face and you show up and you let everyone know you're fine. And thank goodness I've had, Lord, the Lord has given me the best friends throughout my life. And I remember one time they sat me down in the midst of this dark time and they said, Elizabeth, what is going on? And I just said, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Because again, I like, I think I can fool everyone. I think I can pretend I have it all together. I said, I don't know what y'all are talking about. I'm taking care of my kids. I'm taking care of our foster child. I'm doing all the right things. And they said, Elizabeth, we know you can do all the right things. That's the problem. We know that you know how to do. We want you to just be. And then I just burst into tears because I don't know how to just be. I'm always used to doing. And so, you know, when your friends can sit you down and look you in the eye and say, we are worried about you. That's when it cuts me to the core. 
because I, I, I'm not comfortable with people being worried about me. I'm not comfortable with having to be quiet and sit with my feelings and ha- really having mm-hmm. to, you know, having to answer to people. I want to be the one fixing and doing, but when they really forced me to um, sort of sit with what was going on and face my issues, that's when, um, that's when I really had to sort of um, fa- really face face my depression and um, sort of get help beyond just the counseling, you know, kind of get back on medication, which I had let go of. And I thought, you know, I'm stronger than this. I can beat it without that. And, you know, kind of face all those pride issues and, um, you know, just sort of those demons that I thought I had beat that, and that I haven't. And like you said, you know, about being superwoman and having it all together, you know, just admitting I don't have it all together. I'm not superwoman. I can't do it all on my own. And admitting all of those hard truths that I don't want to admit. And it's so true that we need, um, it's the power of community that helps us grow iron sharpening iron and other people seeing us for who we really are and in being willing to invite people into our lives, into those really dark spaces that we experience. I'm so grateful that you had those kinds of friends who walked you through that dark time. And um, I know it's not like a neat little bow tied up either. I'm sure that there are days when things are hard and, and I don't have, I, I think when we talk on the Restory show, we like a completed story with the tied up bow, like I said, and sometimes it's just a little frayed and we still will struggle with things. And, and that's kind of what I like about this podcast is that things don't always completely come around. We're always in process and in transition and it's really our relationships that, help us to kind of see beyond ourselves. That's right. That's right. We are, we are a work in progress for sure. So what, what kind of advice would you give to someone who has, I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm, I'm going to relate it to growing up and feeling like you had to prove yourself. So if someone is going through something like that, where they, maybe they missed the love of a parent or they felt neglected or whatever, and then they decided to fix it all by working really hard and, and putting on a facade. So what kind of advice would you give to someone like that? Wow. Um, I would say, you know, you have to realize that you will never be able to perform enough. You know, one thing my husband says is Elizabeth, you set the bar so high. And the problem is once you reach it, you set it higher and it will never be enough. And so I think you just have to realize that, that your only standard is Jesus. And so once you realize that you can rest, you can rest because he's your standard. You cannot be your standard and someone else cannot be your standard because then you'll never be happy. Your standard will always be changing and and you will just be exhausted. Oh, preaching to the choir here. (laughs) That's right. And myself too. Myself too, because I'm constantly creating a new standard for myself. And I have to remind myself that my standard has to be Jesus because that standard will never change. And in that standard, we can find rest. We can because he accomplished all the things on our behalf and has forgiven us. And so if you look back over the past year, how has God restored you in the past 365 days? Oh, my goodness. So um, just a couple months ago, I actually found out that my biological dad passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I haven't talked to him in 30 years. And so, you know, it was a different kind of grief, um, grieving that loss. And I told my husband, I said, you know, it's not that I pine away for him or that I think about him often. Um, I don't, uh, but I think in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, 
some, somewhere along the way, he's going to come back and he's going to say, I am so sorry. I was such a crappy dad and look how great you turned out. And, you know, you did such a good job. And I would say, yes, you were a crappy dad. And I did turn out pretty great. And, you know, we would have like this great moment of reconciliation and, uh, you know, every, like you said, everything would be tied up with a neat little bow and we would have this great story to tell. I said, I would have some great writing material and that would be it. And my husband said, I don't know if you watch the show, but he said, you do realize you're describing this as us. (laughs) And I said, well, no, I did not realize that. But in the back of my mind, that's what I thought would always happen. And I said, now that's not going to happen. And then I found out, you know, a few days after I found out he passed away, I found out that he'd also had cancer. So he'd been sick for a long time. And so I said, you know, that just added insult to injury because he had time to come back and make amends and he chose not to. And so that was even more hurtful. And I said, you know, I think what God taught me through that is that Sometimes a crappy dad is just a crappy dad. And the media wants us to believe that you're always going to get your happy ending and you're just not. And that for some people, I think that's a really tough pill to swallow. You know, they want that Disney, you know, happy ever after. And that is not real life. And real life is sometimes very difficult. But, and I know this sounds really dismal, but I'm going somewhere. Real life is very tough, but that is why we need Jesus. And so through my, I I think I grieved really hard for about two weeks. And through that, I think what God was telling me was, this is why you need Jesus even more, because you will get your happy ending when you see Jesus. You know, you're getting a glimpse of him right now because you have such a bond with him and you have such a close relationship, but you will get that happy ending when you are in heaven and you can sit in his lap, just like you always envisioned maybe sitting in your dad's lap and you always envisioned a dad putting his arm around you. You will get that happy ending the other side of heaven. You're not going to get it here on earth because you just have a crappy dad and that's just all there is to it. And so I think that's how how I've been restored this year is, you know, God has just had to restore what I always thought our, my ending would be with my dad. Um, I didn't get, I didn't get that end of the story. Um, I've had to kind of restory what it's going to look like. So, you know, when I get to heaven, I, I will sit in Jesus lap, just like I always thought I would sit in my dad's lap or, you know, he'll maybe put his arm around me just like I thought a dad would put his arm around me. And, and that's the way it will end for me. That will be the end of the story for me. I love that. And I, I think it's a, a beautiful way to end the podcast today, this idea of we're going to be in the middle of the mess. And even up until our last breath, we're going to be in the middle of the mess <laughs> because we live in a sin-stained culture and a sin-stained earth and a sin-stained world with people that have wills. <laughs> so I love that that's not the ending. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Thank you for letting me share. I do appreciate it. And I just, I have so much respect for you and everything you do. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Reach Story Show today. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, thank you for Elizabeth. Thank you for uh, what she has gone through, what she's learned. And Lord, I pray for that person out there who is trying to hold it all together and, and building a house of cards and trying to 
create the perfect life and yet crumbling on the inside. And we just pray that you would reach down into that person's life today and, and show them that you are the good part, that you are the one who will be there. Even if other people forsake them, even if fathers die before there's reconciliation, even when a relationship is broken, you are still there. And I do pray that you would send friends like Elizabeth had friends in her life and that mom that came in and found her, um, people that loved her well. I pray you would send friends to those listening today. We so desperately need that kind of community. And Lord, I also pray for those who are hurting from their childhood, who maybe feel neglected or never had the dad or the mom that they wanted. And I'm just so grateful that you can be that to us. And I know that you're not here with skin on, but I know your presence is very precious. And so I pray for an extra manifestation of your presence today as I finish this podcast and this prayer. We're so grateful for you, what you've done on the cross, Jesus, and welcoming us into your kingdom. Thank you for saving Elizabeth. Thank you for giving her hope and life, and I pray that for my listeners as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So if those listening, if you'd like to know more about today's show, go to therestoryshow.com for the latest episode and information, and may you live a brand new story this week.